Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Today, it's going to be a fun one. Well, at least fun if you're money nerds like we are, which is having the conversation about how to track client progress throughout your coaching process. And this one is important. It may not be the most exciting topic in terms of a lot of people are interested in marketing, social media, like how to get clients. But once you get them, making sure you don't lose track of where they are. And so you can actually serve them best and support them along that journey, I think is a pretty important piece. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is really under, and maybe we should do an entire live on this, uh, but it's really paid attention to enough is that yeah, there is a hockey stick up curve in your business that happens once you hit a certain point. You experience this, Garrett, most business owners experience this, and especially in a business like financial coaching. And that happens when you start to have a critical mass of clients who are happy, who then re start referring other people to you. And it's really important that people realize that your business growth is going to come from that sort of referral from happy clients and actively supporting clients, providing them with an amazing experience, knowing where they are in your process and how they're doing progressing through your process. That is how you get clients that are happy that want to refer you to other people. And so while, yes, it's important to think about it from the perspective of we are serving clients and that's what our job is and we need to be serving clients well, we also have to realize that it has a really big impact on business growth. And it, you know, serving clients well is actually one of the most important sales and marketing activities that you can do. Very, very good point. As I said, where Facebook ads or Google ads or social media get a lot of attention, like you said, the foundations, if you will, yeah. for that hockey stick type growth is really doing right by clients and really serving, as I like to say, serving the crap out of them. Yeah. So I think this will be, your, this is a really important foundational conversation. And as I like to say, Joshua, where would you like to start? So let's start with just this idea that is prevalent and it's prevalent because it's partially true. And you've said this a number of times, this idea that when you start off, you can keep everything in your head. And it's absolutely partially true. I mean, the reality is it's easier when you've got one or two or three clients to kind of keep track of, oh yeah, well, the last time we had this conversation and this is what we talked about and this is where they were. And then as you grow, keeping it in your head becomes literally not possible. Like there is a limit to how much your we'll call it your random access memory, right? Your, your short-term, easily accessible memory can store. Yeah. And so 
you, you can't really keep everything in your head as you grow. The reason why I say it's partially true is because we have to realize that our limits on our on that memory, right, our unassisted memory, yeah. are not just limited by how many clients we have. They're also limited by what's going on in our lives. They're limited by our the other interactions that we have. And so you may have one client and still not be able to keep everything in your head because you've got so many things going on in your own life at this moment. You may have just gotten a new puppy and moved to a different state <laughs> and are trying to figure out lighting that doesn't make you look like you had a terrible fake tan. And, you know, your made up scenarios are so relatable. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But that's a really good point, right? It's not yeah. like we do our work in a complete vacuum. Where it's like, this is just my business brain. And this is right. just my personal brain. Yeah. And so be very careful about, especially young coaches, newer coaches, who may only have a few clients right now, or those of you listening who haven't started working with clients yet. Yeah. Be very careful about this idea that, oh, yeah, I could keep it in my head if I only have one or two clients. And that probably isn't true. And there's also another issue that we'll come back to at the end of this that will cause problems if you try and keep everything in your head, even from the beginning. So where do most people then go to if they say, okay, well, I'm not going to keep it all in my head. What am I going to do? And the answer then is, oh, well, what technology do you use, right? And you see these posts all the time. <laughs> yeah. And technology can definitely be a support system. It can, it can definitely provide help in putting things together. But unfortunately, technology is a crutch. As Gary and I were talking before we went live, the example of your, your cell phone is amazing, right? It can do all sorts of things. You can set an alarm, you can have it, you can set it up to say, wake me up at 6 a.m. on Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, wake me up at 8 a.m. on Saturday, wake me up at 7 a.m. on Sunday, adjust automatically for time zones, all this other things. All of that doesn't matter if when the alarm goes off, you turn it off, roll over and go back to sleep. And so that's one of the dangers of technology. And I've, I've been guilty of this, yep. of putting technology solutions into place and then um, overestimating how much they're going to do and underestimating how much I still need to do or need to change of what I do in order to make the technology implementation actually make a difference. So we all, we, it's very important when we look at the technologies that are out there, whether it's a CRM system, which I'm a huge fan of, whether it's just using an Excel spreadsheet, right? Whether it's having a task management software, or anything else, none of those things matter if you don't have a process behind the scenes to actually make it work. Yeah, so at the foundation, kind of the most important part of this is having processes set up and then being able to stack technology or some other useful tool on top of it. But the technology itself does not magically make things work or make them, yeah, useful or that you'll follow them, like you were saying in the phone example. 
So I, I think that the th place that people need to start with is processes, right? They, they need to sit down and say, okay, what is my process going to be? And then instead of going out and looking for technology to solve the problem, you go out and look for technology that will assist you with the process. And if you go to any, if you ask anything about any type of technology, you will have people who say, oh yeah, this CRM system is amazing. I love it. You'll have other people say, oh no, it was worthless. I tried it and it was, it was crap. And the reason why was because one person just happened to get lucky <laughs> that that CRM system worked with their underlying process and the other person, it didn't. And that's one of the big problems when you do a demo. If you go to any technology provider, the thing that they're going to want to show you is a demo, a demo, a demo. And the reason why is because 90% of people, 90% of business owners don't really understand their underlying process. So whatever they show in the demo is going to look amazing because it's going to, they're going to show a process that has nothing to do with your business, but they're going to show a process. You're going to be like, oh my God, this is amazing. It does all this stuff only for that process. <laughs> And when you, when you have these demos, I will usually say, can we do the question and answer session first, <laughs> right? I want to do, I, you can show me the technology later, but I want to do the question and answer session first. And I'll say, here's what I'm trying to achieve. I want this. I want this. I want this. And I'll ask them, you know, Hey, can you show me how the system would achieve this? So I, this is what I do with my clients. How does this, how would the system automate that? Or how would the system support that? So that the demo is actually about your process rather than their slick sales pitch. Yeah. And that's one of the best ways to actually do the demo of, of, a, of a product. Large corporations, they will spend six months developing their RFP, their request for proposal. What do they actually want the technology to do? And I have been in these meetings. I've been one of the executives who have stopped the sales pitch. Uh, because they started to show the standard demo. Said, well, this has nothing to do with what we want. So unless you're going to talk to the things we had in our request for a proposal, we're done with the conversation. It's not worth our time. We've all got other things we can do. Yeah. Right. And while you may not want to be that aggressive. <laughs> or, Was it you? Yeah. For we, what? Yeah. But while, well, well, I mean, if you think about it, if, if, a company is pitching to another company and there are two VPs, four directors, five managers in there. Just, that is a $50,000 hour. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you really want to take control of the demo and be able to say, this is what my process is. And it'll really help you to be able to identify technology that is much, much better. So all of that being said, let's talk about how do you actually track people through your process. And the first thing that you want to look at is what are the big milestones that are going to happen? We can look at this from two perspectives. We can look at it from your client's progress, how well they're doing. I've got all sorts of problems with Dave Ramsey's baby steps, but my God, they are definitely really well-identified milestones. Wonderful, right? As milestones. They stick in your head and they're easy to remember. Yes. Yeah. 
And so when we look at that, that makes it real easy to track client progress because it's literally, this is the thing we're working on. And so therefore, how are you doing on that? How far along have you come? In reality, what's called linear thinking, which is what Dave Ramsey's baby steps is, is linear thinking doesn't work well with the complexities of people's lives. And so as a result, you're not really going to have that simplicity of milestones in your process, generally speaking, at least you probably won't over time as you start working with more and more clients, you'll add more complexity in. But the first step is always identifying what those milestones are, right? What are the big milestones so that you know what you're tracking progress toward? And you may have four or five milestones running concurrently tracking progress toward four or five milestones concurrent. And then it becomes a matter of, okay, if this is what we have to do, I'm tracking all of these milestones, then what is the process? What does my Excel sheet have to be set up as? What does my CRM system, my task management system have to do in order for me to have visibility toward each of those milestones? One of the things that I did Early in my practice, I don't use it very much anymore. Uh, but one of the things that I did early in my practice was I integrated an Excel sheet that had the client's budget, the client's net worth statement, and a few other tabs within it. And then the first tab, including a client data tab, and then the first tab pulled data from all of those other tabs and created effectively little like speedometers for nine key ratios that we were going to track. Oh, I remember seeing that in launch. Yeah. And so that, that entire system, what that did was it allowed us to be able to, in a consistent way, see how the client's progress is being tracked of the bunch of different things that we we're going to be looking at. And it doesn't mean you have to look at all of them at all times, because maybe you're only looking at two of them right now because you're focused on these two things with clients. Maybe it's building an emergency fund and their debt to income ratio. Those are the two big things you're looking at. But you have a technology that allows you to see that and track that. So those are the types of things that you want to be thinking about with regards to process of tracking client progress. What about things that are maybe less tangible, well, less number focused, but things like they are consistently updating their budget on a monthly basis, or they are, it's things that are less pure number, but kind of like skills and habits that yeah. would be helpful for the client to have down and like helpful to have the client acknowledge that they've made this kind of progress. Yeah. So the first step is identifying what the what the progress what what the goal is right that's the milestone so let's say that the goal is the client is tracking their spending on a monthly basis and comparing it to their budget right that's going to be the the goal that we want so the next question is how are we going to gather the data so how are we going to figure out that the client is tracking the progress? So let me ask you, how would you want to figure that out? What would you want to do? Well, in terms of ways to track whether they're actually doing that, 
Uh, and do you mean automated or manually? I'm meaning more, so we'll figure out automation later. So right now, for right now, just generally, how would you want to get, how would you want to get an understanding of whether or not that's happening? What is the mechanism for you finding that out? Yeah, I mean, on a most basic of level, I usually like to have my client meetings every other week for my four month process. And so they're generally in the middle of the month and at the end of the month. So coming into the session at the end of the month, being able to say, okay, like having that filled out ahead of time and then being able to walk through in that session and confirming, okay, at this point in the process, are, were you able to create this ahead of time on your own? What questions do you have? And then kind of going through and manually just very manual process, but seeing their understanding of the concepts and making sure that like, okay, they're at the stage where they can go ahead and do this on their own. And did they fill out that sheet and not have a whole bunch of questions about it? it kind of being like that. Okay, great. So the mechanism is they're going to fill out a sheet and show it to you. <laughs> there it is, sir. Yeah. And, and this is important because it, this isn't, I, I, this wasn't, and I want to make sure that everyone's clear on this, this wasn't trying to lead Garrett to the right answer. There is no right answer. It's what do you want as your mechanism? So if, if, if that's the mechanism, then we know that a monthly basis, we need to get the client the sheet and we need to send in the and we need to find some way of getting it back to you after the client's filled out, filled it out. So as we, as we work on this, the automation then becomes, well, how do we make it so that both of those things can happen automatically? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you can do is you can do this in a CRM system where every time you have a meeting, you schedule an appointment and then automatically an email goes out to the clients. You could have a really complex, you know, you could develop an app that the client does things on and the app gives them notifications and other things. You can have a workflow, like literally on a piece of paper that says, okay, at the end of the meeting, I'm going to copy and paste this email into an email, attach the file and send it to them at the end of every meeting, right? If it's a Calendly appointment, you can have Calendly send an email one hour after the meeting ends, right? Yep. But ultimately we need to get them that spreadsheet at the beginning of every month. Set up a MailChimp email that goes out monthly to all your clients. I was gonna say that has that, or if we're working in something like Box, we could just have a static link that then gets sent to them automatically via an automated email at a certain point in the month. And then it's a matter of then getting it back. And then the question becomes, well, how do you communicate with clients normally and building that into the process? So if, for example, you're, let's say you're working in box, right? And that's how clients upload data. You might have a separate folder in box for each client, each client in let's say you're using MailChimp as your as your service, one of the fields you set up about the clients is the link to their separate folder. So each has their own link. 
And then the email, just, just like it pulls the name from the MailChimp database, it pulls that link from the MailChimp database and dumps the link in for when you're done with it, upload it here. And now we've got a process that has automated everything but opening up the file with the client and going through it with them. But we have to start with what is that, that process, that mechanism. And it's real easy to do when you're talking about one thing. <laughs> it's a lot harder to do when you're talking about the complexities of coaching where you might have three or four different things happening at the same time working on with clients. And then multiple things change over time as you move from getting them to fully understanding what's going on in their finances to actually living with a budget into the phase where they're living with a budget to where they're actually working on building the financial foundation and digging themselves out of holes, right? You, you've got not only a bunch of things happening at once, but different things happening as you work through clients through different phases of your, of your program with them. And they don't and want to harder to put the process together, not impossible, but it does make it harder than what we just did here in this, you know, five minutes of conversation. Right. And I don't want to scare people off thinking like they have to start with having all of their processes ready at the very beginning in terms of like having, although it would be nice, um, having like fully automated <laughs> right tech processes for every single thing that they're doing. And it can be more old school, such as like, where am I at in my meetings? You know, what do I generally want to cover every meeting? It can be a, you know, written down pen and paper checklist, knowing that it's not going to be completely linear, like you said. So based on the client situation, you could have a, here's what I generally want to cover during these meetings, but then also here's kind of like just general concepts and skills that I want to have completed. So you can, I would say, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. So find a way that's simple and gets you started on the path. And then you can get more complex from there. I'm just so you don't, at least my pers my opinion is to yeah, do I'd go, enough getting started. I'd go a step further in don't start with automation and technology because whatever automation or technology you put together is going to be wrong if that's where you start, right? Start with just some basic things of what are the four or five big milestones that I want my clients to have. This is probably going to be aligned with what are the four or five meetings that we're going to have in my program. And then once you've got that, we'll call that the meta process. Once you have that down and you've started to think about, okay, how am I going to, what do I have to do for that meta process? Then you can start looking at the individual meetings and say, okay, what are the sub things that happen in with before this meeting that I can build processes around? So yeah, just start off real simply with what is the meta process way and then start building the sub processes underneath it. And Jason has a great question in terms of, you know, when you, he asked when you're starting out as a coach and making refinements to your process after virtually every client, if not every meeting, what are the best practices to ensure progress and not frustration? Assuming he means for himself. So, <laughs> so as well. Yeah. Yeah. As the coach, don't feel like you're continuously, right? Literally after every session, like rebuilding part of the wheel. I think the big thing there is to try to avoid weeks after every session. One of the challenges that we have is we want to we're service oriented people, right? So we, we want to serve people the best. And so we have conversation with a client and 
oh, you know what? That didn't go quite well. I want to do this tweak. The problem is we don't know if that was an issue with the conversation, an issue with the process, or an issue with the client. Good point. And so be, I, I would say you don't want have a have a process for tweaking your processes, right? Garrett, just say it. I know it's coming. Yeah. So start down by saying, I'm going to, I'm not going to tweak anything for the first five clients because I want to have at least a somewhat robust experience of trying the same thing over and over again with multiple people mm-hmm. so that I can differentiate between what needs to change on my end versus what am I identifying that may be a client issue that I need to help figure out a way to guide them through. Right? Gotcha. Because we may be constantly changing our processes to try and adjust to things that it had nothing to do with our processes that it had to do with clients, right? A great example of this is if clients are just afraid of looking at their debt, afraid of seeing how much debt they actually have. And there are lots of people that are like this. A higher percentage of your client pool will be like this because otherwise they wouldn't be hiring you, right? It doesn't mean everyone's going to be like this, but it'll be more than the normal population. Uh, What this means is if you're constantly changing your process around, well, maybe I'll ask for their credit card statements in the beginning, or maybe I should ask for it later on, or maybe I shouldn't ask for the credit card statements and just ask for the credit report. Whatever you do is not going to solve the problem and you're just going to be playing whack-a-mole with okay i'll try this and i'll try this and i'll try this and that'll create frustration on the other hand looking at and saying okay i'm going to do the same thing with five different clients okay three of them didn't give me anything two of them did what was the difference between those groups of people maybe even sitting down and saying hey you know, you, you were slower than most than my average client to get me the information, not angry, not upset, not accusing you of anything, right? This is my job where we're working through how to figure these things out, right? Together. Let's talk about why, what were you, what were you thinking about? What were you feeling? What was going on in your life that may have not made it hard for you to get it in the first couple of weeks that changed in week three? So that you can start to get a feel for, okay, this has nothing to do with my process. This has to do with something going on with them. So I need to build in earlier in the process, a mechanism for addressing that if that exists. So before I ask for all those credit card statements, maybe we need to have just a meeting about calming those fear. Maybe what do you think about keeping an ongoing list? If there are things that you want to, like things that come up, right? So Jason has a session with a client. It's like, oh, here's an idea or something I want to think about and be aware of. Just kind of keeping that on a separate sheet and then maybe revisiting that sheet every couple of months or kind of like having a place to offload it versus having to think about it or think about how he'll change his process after every session or a couple of sessions. Yeah, I think what that comes down to is really looking at how long is it going to take you to have enough clients where you're not just making an adjustment based on the idiosyncrasies of one or two people. 
So for some people, it might be, I'm going to do this on a monthly basis because they have five clients starting this month and five clients starting next month. And they're pretty sure they've got another five clients starting the month after that. The more likely scenario for people might be looking at it on a six month or an annual basis. I look at it on an annual basis. And I do that because I don't have the time to constantly be changing things because I, I would never get any work done for clients if I did that. And so it may, it also may just be a matter of, well, when can you actually afford the time to sit down and update your processes? And so I'll, I do that on a month, on an annual basis. As far as my ideas, I think having a, a document that you have in an operations folder mm -hmm. that sort of has ideas can be worthwhile. One of the mechanisms that you might do, especially as you build your practice larger, is have a meeting at the end of uh, the program with the client, your program with the client, where you say, okay, let's talk about everything that happened in this with the client and kind of summarize what happened, what they worked on, the progress that they've made. This is a really good thing for the client because it helps them to see the value of your program. It's a really good thing for your referrals because they're like, oh, wow, we did do a lot of that. I'm totally going to tell my friend about you. But it also allows you to be able to sit down and, and look at the relationship holistically and be able to say, okay, what worked and what didn't work? It allows the client to participate in that as well, right? Because the client is there. And then from that, taking notes and looking at the four or five notes you take out of that meeting mm -hmm. in order to see what do I want to change in my process. The challenge when you have a document off to the side, and I'm not saying I'm against this, it's just something to be aware of if you're going to do this. And, and again, it's not something that, that is a bad idea to do. Just be aware of the dangers. Yeah. Right? And that is shiny object syndrome and whack-a-mole. You have an idea and you jot it down. You have another idea and you jot it down. And you're looking at everything from the moment rather than from how it fit into the much larger program with the client. And that causes you to jump from idea to idea to idea. And it also can cause you to try doing little things differently along the way, which then might create another problem, which has a, a, that's the whack-a-mole side of it where this thing pops up, you hit it, but that causes something else to pop up. And sometimes it's worth it for clients to have not the perfect experience because I have news for you. They're never going to have the perfect experience anyway. He speaks the truth. But to do that and being able to look at it holistically to then be able to turn around and say, okay, what is the next iteration that I'm going to look at and kind of look at things from a program a programmatic standpoint rather than an individual incident standpoint. Cool. Right. When I teach personal finance classes, the last section of the project of the final project talks to ask them to talk about how did this change their lives? What did they would they like to have learned more about that they didn't learn about or different questions along those lines? 
And I use that to make adjustments to the class. But I don't make adjustments to the class based on a question that's being asked live during a lecture. I'll answer the question, but I'm not going to completely change my curriculum based on a single question that was asked during class. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I like that. So, cool. Jason, did that answer your question about frustration? Hopefully. He'll let us know. That was cute. He's like, but wait, I thought we were going for perfection, not progress. Jason, <laughs> you would say that. You would say that with your perfectionism. Takes one to, <laughs> takes one to know one, him and I. It's a nice play on the launch mantra. Launch mantra. Yeah. I like the assonance in that phrase, launch mantra. But assonance is the repetition of vowel sounds, by the way, in case you thought I was just cursing at Josh. Oh, yeah, I mean, you're doing both, but. You know me too well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, Jason said, helpful. So awesome. Glad it was. And anything else that you want to hit on before we kind of wrap it up? Yeah, the biggest thing that you want to think about is what are the milestones? What are the big things that you want to accomplish? And how are you going to track where your clients are in each of those? This can be very simple. One of the things that you can do in Excel is you can actually create drop down menus. Mm -hmm. And so, and if you don't know how to do that, just look up a tutorial on how to create drop down menus in Excel. YouTube will be your friend for yes. learning office stuff. And one of the really cool things that you can do is if you've got five meetings, each meeting has four like sub steps within it, just from a very high level, you can create a drop down menu where you've got in the first column, the client's name, in the second client column, where they are in your meetings, right? What the next meeting is. And that's where you're five meetings, I think I said, come in. So you just literally update that drop-down menu based on where they are every time you have a meeting. And that lets you know where you are in the, fourth, in the third column with the steps and just updating the steps. If you really want to get fancy, you can make the third column's drop-down menu dependent on the first column so that it automatically updates the steps, right? No need to get that fancy, but you could but that's a really simple way of being able, if you've got four or five clients at a, at a single time, of being able to, on a single sheet, on a single Excel sheet, being able to see, okay, these are my four clients. Each one of them, we just had this meeting, so I know what the next meeting is for each client. And this is the, the individual step we're on. I, I've, gotten the, I've gotten their budget back from them, but I haven't got, but the next step is to get their loan payments, all their loan payments, and I haven't gotten all their loan documents yet. So we know I've got the budget. I, need, I still need to get the loan documents. And so when I, on Fridays, let's say, do my follow-up with clients, I literally open up the Excel sheet. I'm saying this is not what I do, but you would all say I. I don't use the Excel sheets <laughs> is, is why I'm saying that. But I literally do this with my technology. Fridays, I, I do my follow-ups and I open it up and I see, okay, this is where everyone is. And I know that this is the people that I need to follow up on. You can do a fourth column of when the deadline is for follow-up so that you can see, 
I don't need to follow up on any of these things because the deadline hasn't hit yet. Ah, but this deadline just passed on Wednesday. I'm going to follow up on this one because I haven't moved it forward. And four-column Excel sheet can be really helpful, but you have to have your processes and your steps in place to be able to build the spreadsheet. We did have one question come in from um, Valerie, and she asked if you could recommend some important milestones that we should always be tracking for clients. Oh, yeah, I can definitely recommend some important milestones. So let's start with the milestones of the of your process. And the important milestones are do a search for CFP financial planning process. <laughs> There's your important milestones for your for your process. And that doesn't mean, so it's a, it's an eight-step process. So that doesn't mean you're going to have eight meetings with clients. It's just literally these are the, the big things that you have to do in it. And it's a great, really well-tested, this is what we use in launch because it is tested by industry, by sales, by academia to actually be effective for clients. And so that would be the first thing that I would, I would start with. The second thing that I would do it, the second thing is looking at the milestones for client progress in their finances. And the CFP process is kind of going to give you those because one of the first things that you're going to work on with clients is what are their goals. And so what you want to think about is you want to think about the, your steps that you're going to walk them through. What do they have to do for that? So tracking let's say that your steps are, we're going to build a budget, we're going to do the uh, debt management, and then we're going to build a savings account. So there are three things we're going to track. We want to track the budget, the debt management, and the savings. Some basic things that I think are good to track overall, not really about process, but about progress for the clients are number one, the net worth. I don't like tracking debt and I don't like tracking savings because those are both worthless. There, Josh, coming in hot with his with his thoughts. I love it. He doesn't miss mince words. Oh no, yeah, Josh, tell him. Yeah. They're both they're both worthless because there are a lot of people who are really proud of their savings account. Look how much money I have in savings, and yet they are drowning in debt. Yeah. That does not mean they're winning. That means that they are earning 8% on their 401k, 1% on their savings money, and paying 23% on their credit cards. At the same time, tons of people bragging about, oh yeah, I've paid off all my debt, I have no car loans, I, I, I've almost paid off my mortgage. Oh great, how are you doing on your 401k? Oh, there's like $5,000 in there. You're 48. And so the net worth is really the thing that you want to look at with clients because that tells you the whole story. So that would be the, the number one thing that I would look at. It's the number one thing I look at with my clients. And then it was funny. She yeah, was no, like, I said number one, not the only thing. And she was like, I thought Josh was going to say, it depends. And I was like, cheat me too. Um, <laughs> because right. There is going to be a lot that's very dependent on, who your client is, or certainly some things that will be dependent on your ideal, the type of client that you're working with. But I just went ahead and put in um, for Valerie, the CFP seven step process. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah. So just copy that into, yeah, the notes and great question, Valerie. So thanks for asking that. 
Yeah. And keep in mind, I'm not saying that understanding their debt is not important. I'm not saying that understanding their savings is not important. What I'm saying is you have to understand them in relationship to each other. And that's what net worth gives you. Good point. And thanks for clarifying that because you were, you had a strong position, but it was to those individually or slash separate, separately, not looking in how they relate to each other. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Well, we're right at time. So that was perfect. Thank you for the questions. Thank you for everyone who joined. And if there are questions that we didn't get to that you want to ask us, just put them in the comments as you watch the replay. Please do tag Josh and I, so then we get notified and it's easier for us to find yeah, those. Yeah, we don't really see them otherwise. <laughs> yeah, they go into the black hole of the Facebook feed and the, the comments, so just tag us and you can use the at symbol in our names to tag us. And we'll be on next week at 11.15 a.m. Pacific, 2.15 p.m. Eastern time. So thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, it also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall there if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.